Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Pastors Lester and Sharon Hayes out here in Tallahassee, New Freedom Christian Ministry. This morning, coming at you this morning. Just want to welcome all of our, our, our guests this morning, all of our extended family many members in Christ. Uh, just want to thank God this morning for our prayer warriors, intercessors, gatekeepers, gate watchmen and women, uh, intercessors, prayer warriors, those who stand on the wall and watch out and pray continuously and feed on the word daily that you may grow and continue to be strengthened in your inner man. Amen. And so we thank God for all of you choosing to join us this morning. All of those from around the world, out on our platforms and just wherever this is being piped into by via, you know, podcasts or however uh, it's getting out there, whatever the social media streams are. But we thank God this morning for all of it. We give him praise this morning that we are part of the mandate that God put upon us uh, a few, um, a year or so back when he told us to create a prayer culture for God so that he could use it to counter everything that the adversary is up to. And he's doing exactly that to include, you know, ministering to the lost, the backslidden, the prodigal sons and daughters, the, the, the atheists out there, the gays, the straights, the 4,200 and different denominations out there that struggle with the deity of Christ and the rest of the world. And so we're doing exactly what God has mandated that we do. And so we thank God for the Holy Spirit who leads, guides, and directs us on what to do, what to say, what to think, and just how to uh, go about administering what God has given us to do. And so we thank God. We are the non-denominational ministry. We preach and teach sound doctrine, uh, speaking the truth in love without any compromise. And so one thing I can guarantee you when you come on this call, you're going to hear the word. Uh, if not, then you, you, you're in the wrong place. But I guarantee you're going to hear the word here. And you have our permission. If you don't hear the word being taught, uh, preached, uh, you know, prayed, uh, praised, <laughs> worshipped, then I give you permission to get off. Amen. And so we thank God for the, 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 the line that is dedicated to sticking to a sound doctrine. Amen. Preaching it, teaching it, however the Holy Spirit give it to us, we give it to you. Uh, unadulterated, infallible, authentic word of God, and we want to keep it that way. We're sanctified by that word, and we know God's word is truth. We know Jesus wants us to know the truth, and the truth make us free. Amen. And so we, again, want to welcome all of you to the Creating a Prayer Culture for God this morning. It is now 6.03. Uh, this is Monday, September the 21st, and a birthday shout goes out to one of our very own ministers, Minister Elaine Smith, who preached her heart out yesterday. And I tell you, she could have just went on and on and on and on. Amen. And God used her and Minister Biggers on yesterday. And we thank God for that as he uses our other pastors, Pastor Eric, Pastor Phoebe Davis, More Than Conquered Warriors Christ Ministry, our praise and worship, also our praise and worship team and band, Brother Quentin, Bishop Quinn, we call him, uh, our, our guy who makes sure we pull everything together with our Zoom and our Facebook Live. Just an awesome media guru there that God has blessed us with. And he has a ministry calling on his life. He's a musician. So he's a, a college student. So we give God praise, Brother Siobhan, our, our percussionist there. So we just have so much to be thankful for. Pastor Phoebe, who's not only a, a, a vessel who makes herself available to God, but she's also uh, our vocal uh, voice behind all of our our singing and our praising and our worship that gets us into the presence of the Lord. 
someone who just loves God, amen. He's blessed our vocals to be able to sing praises, and sing worship songs and melodies out of her heart. So we just have so much to be thankful for. And all of our, our followers, our members, amen, uh, amen, of our various uh, churches on here represented, uh, you know, and all of our, our uh, extended family from, uh, from around the country, uh, the Sister Greens, Sister Anns, and, you know, others out there, Sister Shanice and, and others out there, Brother Cross. And we just have so many um, people that hang out with us that we're just so thankful for. And we don't ever want you to think we take you for granted. The Linda Walkers, the, the Crystal Solomons, the Alex Hayes, the Crystal Hayes, the Carter Hayes, all of those uh, those that join us, we thank God for you. And the many, many who will never introduce themselves and let us know who you are, we love you and you're welcome too. Amen. Just keep coming. We know you're going to be blessed. For those who are coming on, chiming on right now, we welcome you. Amen. We're going to go ahead and get into the lesson. Uh, we started a series here uh, uh, over in the book of John, 21 chapters. We're going to go from introduction all the way to the end and just milk those uh, precepts, those lines, every verse, every chapter on those books until we get every bit of revelation squeezed, every bit of revelation out of their detailed things about Jesus that we probably have thought we knew, but we're going to go back in there and pull out every nugget, as they say, so that we will have a clear picture, a portrait of really who Jesus is, that we might know him more intimately, not to insult anybody's intelligence. You could probably go in here and do a better job to, to detail uh, th these particular chapters. But this is something God laid on my heart some time ago, and I've done extensive study to try to uh, prepare to teach this, and I'm going to teach it regardless of who else try to teach it or teach it. But I'm going to just take my time and walk through line upon line, precept upon precept, verse upon verse, chapter upon chapter, and uh, just solicit your comments at the end of every section. And uh, however long it takes, this is kind of what I'm committed to right now to finish this series, amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which I think is getting lost out there in all these different streams of ministry, people talking about everything, and it just seems like 80, uh, 80 or 90% of the country out there is all about prosperity gospel, and they got stuck and they can't get out of that rut, and they've forgotten all about Jesus Christ and who he is and the revelations about him. And that's the only name by which people can be saved. And he wants that relationship with all of his creation. And we're taking people away from that by substituting all these other gospels. And so we're going to be talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ as we started yesterday with a little intro and open it up. So we're going to get back in here this morning. Amen. So let's pray. Abba, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, Lord, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debt towards. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Now, Holy Spirit, we depend on you this morning to walk us through this lesson. We don't want to miss not one stone. We want to turn over every revelation, find out what's behind this and what's behind that. As we take our time, we trust you to lead God and direct us. Amen. Because we know Rome was not built in a day. So we're not in a hurry. We're not going to put out a fire. We're trying to start a fire and ignite a fire. And so we give you praise, glory, and honor this morning, Holy Spirit. Now take control. Have your way. You are the one who reveals revelations about Jesus Christ. And you continue to show us things that we haven't seen yet, haven't heard yet, haven't received yet. So we heavily depend on you and trust you, Holy Spirit. That's why you live on the inside of us to teach us all things that we don't know. Bring all 
all things to our remembrance that we were taught, heard, and learned, and to show us things to come. So as we look this morning to you, the author finishing the of our faith, we ask you to help us this morning. You be the teacher. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray amen and amen, amen. All right then, well, let's get back in here. We, we stopped off yesterday uh, in verse 5. Uh, we ended by talking about, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And this is a revelation about Jesus Christ being a source of light. Uh, we learned earlier that he is also in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so yeah, as you can see, the revelation just continued to unfold, unveil, and be revealed. Amen. And that's what revelation means. It means to unveil, to unfold, to open up, you know, to so that you can see really what's there. And so this is really very simple teaching here. Nothing hard about this. If you understand that Jesus Christ, the whole Bible, 66 books, is all about the living word of God. Now, a lot of people like to say the law is like logos, meaning it's just written word. It's just a letter. Amen. But there is a spirit to the word. And a lot of times people get the logos and they get the letter, but they don't get the spirit behind the word. Amen. And so all of God's word is spiritually discerned. I don't care where you start reading at, whether it be in the Old Testament, New Testament. This is why we stress so much for people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, because a carnal mind cannot discern the word of God. It is all spiritually discerned. If you go all the way back to the beginning where Pastor Sharon took us yesterday in Genesis, it says that in the beginning, you know, God created and guess who was there with him? The word was there and the spirit of God was there because once he spoke the word, the spirit of God created what he spoke. And so this is all the way back to the beginning of this age, this, 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 this world age that we're living in right now. But however, even before that, the word was present. It was God, you know, and it was with God. And so we have no beginning to the word. We have no beginning to the spirit of God. We have no beginning to God. We just know that they've always existed even before the foundation of the world. Amen. And so let's be clear about that. So he is who came in the form of man. He is the he was life and he was the light of all men. And the Bible says in then it says he is that light that shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehendeth him not. He's always been light. Amen. Causing men to see. Amen. And so the Holy Ghost is causing us to see things right now that are being revealed and that are being unveiled in the word about Jesus Christ. The whole 66 books. And I told you yesterday, if you don't learn nothing else, you learn this, that Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Amen. I also dropped a little nugget on you, and I don't know whether you really got it or not. That if you are a believer, you're saved and you know you're saved, you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will never, ever be defeated. Now, I don't know how many of you understand how important that is to your journey from this day forward, but you will never, ever, ever be defeated because you are a child of God. God would not let one of his children be defeated. Amen. It, you know, and so I want you to hold on to that. Now, that does not mean that the spirit of defeat is not going to try to come and deceive you and destroy you and kill you and, 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 you know, and rob you and do everything they can to get you to doubt God, because that's what the adversary Satan does. 
He cometh but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you may have life. There it is. And have this life that I came to give you more abundantly. Amen. And so be encouraged by that. So let's get in here this morning. Again, we're going to be talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. We want to pick up uh, in verse 6. Uh, we know that the witnesses, we're dealing with the witnesses to the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of John, the first chapter, verse 1 all the way to 51 uh, in the King James Bible. Jesus is the living word. want to echo that point over and over again. You'll hear me say that many, many times as we go through because I want it to be embedded on the wall of your spirit. Uh, the first witness was uh, of that in, in real time was John the Baptist. Oh, not John, but John, uh, the revelator. Amen. And John the Baptist also witnessed that. And we're going to look at a ton of witnesses as we go through these 51 verses that actually witnessed him. And there are going to be other references I'll give to that witnessed him too. But nobody witnessed him, the revelations like John, the Re John we're talking about right now, the beloved of, of, of Christ. Nobody. That's why he took it upon himself to write this down, as we learned yesterday, that people might believe on Jesus and believe that they have eternal life through his name. We learned that yesterday in, verse, in chapter 20, verse 31. And so he, he, he is the one that had the task, the beloved of the Father, the beloved of Jesus. And he wrote this down because he's the, he's, he's the fourth gospel, was totally different than the other three gospels. But all of them were eyewitnesses. All of them witnessed Jesus, but just in a different light. But John took it to another realm, which is the spirit realm. And so many things were revealed to him. And he saw many, many other witnesses seeing the same thing he saw. And we're going to hear from a lot of those witnesses as we go through this lesson. We're not to question those witnesses, but we ought to, we ought to take a look at what is being unveiled and what is being revealed about their testimony of what they witnessed. And some of you yesterday gave some scripture references that was awesome uh, about some of those witnesses. But none of them had the relationship like Jesus and John. He was the beloved of of, uh, of Jesus, so was James and Peter. They were the three. They were the three closest to Jesus. That little inner circle, and all of them got some powerful revelations uh, and, as, as witnesses from being with him. Amen. And so we know that John wrote this book, and it's a reason he wrote it so that we might know, you know, these revelations. Amen. He was the son of Zebedee. We learned that yesterday. We know that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and uh, this is a special witness. Uh, and we're going to learn a little bit about John the Baptist because John the Baptist came. OK, he was not that 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 witness, but he not that Christ, but he came the witness of him. And we'll probably hear a lot about him today. Uh, we have learned uh, and therefore should know uh, by now that John the Baptist was a man sent from God. <coughs> Amen. And why he was sent. Uh, we know John the Baptist was sent by God as a man with a very special mission. John's mission was, you know, sent so that people would know about the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Amen. And so we learned that in the book of Genesis chapter one, God created the heavens and the earth. We learned that yesterday. So God, when we say God created, we know that Jesus was there. The word was there. Amen. All in the spirit was there. They were all working together there to create <clears throat> and you can go back and read those accounts in Genesis 1 and it just and just follow along and you'll see exactly who all was there involved. God said, let there be. And the spirit of the Lord was just hovering over everything that when God spoke, that was the release of the word. And that word was a living word. It was a powerful word. And the Holy Spirit took that word and him and Jesus, which was the word they created what the father had spoke. Let there be light. Boom. They created light. 
And so don't forget that point. That's in Genesis. Also, when we look at a prophetic uh, word that was given by the prophet Isaiah over in the book of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the King James Bible, he said, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Now, you're talking to a Jewish bunch of people here. Uh, Hebrews, they always required a sign. The Jews always required a sign. It was just their culture. Amen. A lot of people now are not going to trust God until they get a sign. And that's still very prominent today. But I thank God that he'll always give you a sign. But he said, more blessed are those people who serve God that don't need a sign. When you come to God, you're just going to have to believe that God is who he say he is and he's going to do what he say he's going to do. And so they, uh, they, he said, they shall receive a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. The word is with us right now. Jesus was the word. Jesus became incarnated, made flesh and dwelt among us, the son of man. And so all of this was prophesied uh, 2,750 years before Jesus ever came. And then Isaiah picked it on up further because he's talking to a Jewish mindset out here. And he's trying to convince them that God is who he say he is. And they needed more proof than just him saying that. And so this is why Jesus had to come the way he came through 42 generations, you know. Uh, let's look at this in the book of Isaiah. I think Pastor Phoebe touched on this yesterday, chapter 9, verse 6 and verse 7, the King James Bible. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace of of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. As we see, God took the word of God, amen, and made it flesh and sent Jesus, who was that living word. And so uh, we, we, we bring these scriptures out is because the word of God has always been there, but people had no revelation about it. They had no unveiling. So these prophets come and they begin to prophesy as the spirit of God came on them and revealed things to them and inspired them to write things. But you go back to the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. Amen. And so you have to go back to the beginning to understand what these prophets are prophesying. It was God with God, you know, you know, and when God spoke, the word became, it became a living soul. So let's pick up in verse six right here and see what uh, John is saying to us right here. And bear in mind now, this first chapter is starts out with all these witnesses who witnessed the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is a revelation? The unveiling. OK, the, 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 the unfolding so you can see, you know, bringing it out, making it clear so you can see. The problem is sometimes it's so simple. People are looking for something deeper. They're looking for something else. And it's right there staring you in the face. And that's why when you come, you got to believe. you got to believe what you're reading is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what John is doing. This whole book, he said, this is written so that you might believe. Not that you might debate. Not that you might have a thousand questions. But not, that, not that you may be tripping and going through all these changes. He said, but that you might believe, you know. That this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what was revealed to John. John is unveiling it, revealing it to us. So verse 6, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a man sent from God. Why was he sent? 
And you have to understand what John is doing now. John is saying, look, not only, and I'm talking about John who wrote this book. This is John who wrote the book is not John the Baptist, but he's referencing John. He's referencing that voice in the wilderness. And all of us know about John the Baptist. He said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, make way for the coming of the Lord, coming of the Messiah, you know, coming of the one after me. I'm not even worthy to tie up his sandals, you know. He's the one that's going to come and baptize you with fire and with power, you know. And so he's, he was just a voice. But I love how John don't get out here on an island by himself. He starts bringing all these witnesses in and documenting what they saw, what they experienced, what they had to say. All this is part of building the case about the unveiling of who is this Messiah that the prophets prophesied that was going to come. You know, that that living word, Jesus Christ, you know, the incarnated word made flesh. And so we see here, John is using, pulling this witness in. And he said, why was he sent? Verse seven, he says, the same came for a witness. There it is right there to bear witness of who the light that we just talked about back in verse five and verse four, the bear witness of that light that all men through him might believe. That's why he, 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 he's unveiling this for number one reason that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. You know, John the Baptist was a man sent from God. You need to understand that God will send the witness when he need a witness. If he can't find a witness, he'll send the witness. And so he sent John to be a witness. Now, guess what part of our job is? The Bible says, and I hope y'all hear me now, saints of God, that when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, that's in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, says when the Holy Ghost come upon you, what God is doing is sending his spirit of truth upon you so that you can become a witness unto Jesus, who is the living word of God. And once you witness to him, now he says you can go witness to the uttermost parts of the world, starting with, he says, he sent them to all Judea, all Jerusalem, all Samaria. Why? This is where they lived. And then the last place he said he was going to send them to shine some light, to let their light shine, because they're walking in the light and after the light as he is the light, mm -hmm. as witnesses to the light, to the uttermost parts of the world. But it's amazing sometimes how people want to go to the uttermost parts of the world and forget about the family. Forget about the neighborhoods. Forget about the, forget about the place you live. And so we, the reason we have so much problem, so much darkness remaining and growth darkness is because we're neglecting what we're supposed to be doing right here at home, in my own family, in my own neighborhood, in my own nation. We want to go all over the world, man, to try to save people. And the Lord is saying, look, no, when you are to be a witness to me, you are to be a witness right here where you live, in your own house, in your own family, in your own community, in your own neighborhood. Let your light so shine right there. And if you think about Jesus, Jesus only operated in a small area. And when he went through the wilderness after he was baptized by John and the father approved of him, he went straight to the place where he grew up. He wanted to go back to them who knew him as a carpenter's son and show them the light of God in him. Because he had done satisfied everything that man was supposed to satisfy. He wanted not to go let them see, visibly see, the revelation of God through him, you know, you know, that he was not just the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son, you know, he was not just some good thing that came out of Nazareth. No, he was the personification of God in the flesh. 
you know. And they missed that revelation, full of grace, full of truth, dwelling among them, and they didn't recognize him. Just like people do today. They got every kind of conceivable thing they want to call Jesus and deny his deity. And we went over some of those names. They called him uh, as, as the Lord was asking the disciples, who do they say I am? They was calling them all, John the Baptist, the prophet Isaiah, one of the prophets. They had all kinds of things they were calling him, meaning they did not have a revelation of him. And there he was, full of glory, full of truth, right there, full of grace, right there with them. So let's go on a little further here. So John came to bear witness about that. That's why he was sent. Verse 8, he says, he was not the light, talking about John the Baptist, but was sent to bear witness of that light, talking about of Jesus Christ before he came. John the Baptist was a great man, but he was not that light. There are some great prophets that prophesied about him. We read a couple of them earlier, Elijah. You know, a lot of them had revelations that they had received through the Spirit. They never seen Jesus, but they were inspired to write about him. You know, all these were great men. They were great witnesses about what was to take place. You know, but John is the one who, who actually got the revelation and wrote the revelation. He was the one that God inspired and tasked to do that. Nobody else. Everybody else had a different witness and a different role and a different function. But John was the one man who got the greatest revelation. He was the first one to get that revelation inspired to write it. I'm sorry God didn't tell nobody else to write it. So Jesus Christ is the light of men, the second witness of this, of John. So now uh, John is going to change here, uh, you know, with, with another level of witnessing, you know. Uh, he, 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 is, he is, you know, the light of men. John is saying this because he's seeing this now. And now this is the second portion of his witness uh, as an apostle. So let's see what he says in verse 9. Let's see what the second part of his him witnessing right here that Christ is the light of men. Verse 9, he says, that was the true light. Now, this is what John is saying. He was a true light which lighted every man that cometh into the world. He witnessed that Jesus Christ was the light. John witnessed this. Now, he ain't just shooting off the cuff. He ain't just talking about what he heard, read in a book, saw on TV, social media, Facebook, you know, chat, whatever it is. He said the light, <coughs> he, was the, he witnessed that he was the true light, and his mission was to give light to the people. Now, this is what he's saying right here in verse 9, that being around Jesus, getting this revelation, seeing what Jesus was doing, seeing how people that saw him and, and was around him. I'm talking about the, you know, the, 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 the other uh, uh, disciples, the Peters, the James, you know, all these disciples that followed Jesus. You know, they got conversation going on. They're talking about him. Just like people do today. They talk about Jesus, man, like they know him. They know about him. But, but you can tell sometimes they're listening to people. They really don't have no in-depth understanding and knowledge of who Jesus is that they wouldn't do some of the stuff they do. So this right here, man, is kind of a, a real probing conversation here that they're having. And I love what John is saying here. John is saying, well, hold on, he's the true light. John's mission was, or John said Jesus' mission was, in hopes that they get it as he's talking with them, was to give light to the people. If you missed that revelation, Jesus' you know, mission was to come and give light to the people when he saved them, you know, because people was what? In darkness. They were in darkness. This is why we need this light to be unveiled. This is why we need this light to be made visible in Christ Jesus and also in us now who, who believe. He said, you know, we, 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 we who are in the light can no longer walk in darkness. Why? We are a city that sit on a hill and we cannot 
be hid. We got to let our light so shine. What light? The light of Jesus Christ, just like what he's saying right here. He was to give light to all people, all men, all believers. And so we have received this light from him. We have received the light of his spirit. We have received the light of his presence. We've received the light of his glory. We received the light of his word because the Bible says in Psalms uh, 119, I want to say it's 130. I mean, I could be wrong with that, that at the entrance of that word, it giveth light. At the entrance of his word, that giveth light. So if I have received Jesus Christ, I have a source of light in me, you know, and I can no longer walk in darkness because of that light. Now, you may not you may not see it and know it about yourself. But believe me, if you have received Jesus Christ, you have a light source in you. And as you continue to brighten that light by receiving the word, that word, what that word does, that word continues to make your light shine just a little bit brighter. Every time you, every time the word enters into your mind, enters into your spirit, you look at it, you read it, you study it, your light is becoming just a little bit brighter. Amen. It says it right there in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verse 130, the King James Bible says, At the entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And so you don't have, if you're a believer, just like I told you earlier, you don't have to be defeated. The other part of that is, by, based on the revelation that John has given us here, Jesus being the light of all people, you don't have to walk in darkness. You can't if you're in the light. You can't walk in darkness if you're walking in the light. They don't even make sense. You know, you know. And so he's saying that right there is that's why we need the word, because the word, OK, it keeps that light shining brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's what you want. You want that light to be 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 true light. So when people look at it, they know that it's something they've never seen before. You know, they know it's something they've never seen before. And goes on in verse 10, he says, and he was in the world and the world was made by him. Taking you back to the beginning now. Notice what John is saying now. John has got John has got revelatory historical knowledge here about what he's saying. He's basing it on something that they already know to be true. I wish preachers would do that sometime. I wish preachers would take the time to give the historical con content of where they're getting this stuff from and not just spewing stuff out there, you know, bouncing off the wall, hoping people get it. But John is so John is so astute here, man. You know, that he's he, he's connecting the dots here so that he's leaving no doubt where he's getting this information from, because you can reference it. It can be verified is what he's saying. So he's saying, you know, he, he he's saying, look, he was in the world talking about Jesus and the world was made by him all the way back to the beginning. And the world knew him not. My God, John reveals here. Look at this. Now, that, that revelation is that's the meaning of the revelation. John reveals here about how Jesus Christ was tragically rejected by the world, how he was in the world, but he was rejected. Man, that's a powerful statement. You know, if you go, if you go back and trace the, the history of the world as we know it now, this, this earth age right now, even before that, he was always there, but he was not always recognized as being there. It's the same thing today. If people can't see something, they quickly deny that it exists. You know, and this is why we need to have the revelation of Jesus Christ bought out so people can see that that we're not just telling you this. This is the word. And we have the word. We have Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the living word. You know, but he was actually physically on this earth at the time. 
and John is witnessing him. There's others with him that's witnessing him. We have other gospel accounts of this. You know, can't just make this stuff up, you know, but it's being revealed by John so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And his name is the only way we can have eternal life. See, these are revelations that we got to get from these witnesses. And then he goes on to say here in verse 11, he came unto his own. <laughs> I love it, man. And his own received him not. He came to his own people, but they rejected him. This is, this, is, this is what's troubling today for me. This is why I think this teaching is so important. Because you got people out there right now, 4,200 denominations, the last time I checked about three years ago, who are all chasing after some different belief in some different denomination, going about trying to create their own righteousness because they don't want to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, they, they don't want to believe that that's just too simple. That's just too easy. They, you know, they're more apt to think, well, where is he at now? You know, with all this going on, you know, and, and all this trouble and all this death and all this stuff happening. Where is he? If he if he's who he said, I think he was just another prophet. I think he was just another man. Remember now, before when Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? They called him all of this stuff then. So I wonder where people get these ideas from today. They go back and they they read what those people said about him instead of reading what Peter said about him, what John said about him, that he is the light of all men. They don't want that part. They want to be able to come up with it their own, their own selves. And it's the same thing they were dealing with back then, trying to create their own righteousness and rejecting Jesus, who was right there among them, the light of the world, the light of all men, the life of all men. They rejected him then. They're rejecting him now. But not everybody now. There's some people that will see the light and they'll come to the light and they'll come out of darkness and they'll walk after the light as he is the light and they'll walk in the light as he's in the light. You know, a lot of that is happening right now, too. People are tired of darkness. But, you know, but John points this out, man. You know, he said, hey, he came to his own people and his own people rejected him. And you got the same thing going on today. You know, you got atheists out there. You got gays and straights out there, man, who don't believe that God is, you know, caused what they're doing, that alternative lifestyle and abomination. It's like they don't care, man. Well, I don't I don't know that God. I don't know that. I heard he was so loving. He could not do anything like that. He would not punish me. That's only because people have taught them a different, a, a different revelation about God. You know, and it's right here in the word, man. You know, when you go back and read in the book of Romans, chapter one, verse 25 through 27. It tells you what's going to happen to them. God's going to turn them over, you know, to themselves, to that to that flesh, you know, to that lifestyle. You know, and we know what the wages of sin is and the gift of God is. We know that. In verse 12, he goes on now. Listen at this for those who reject him. He's talking to a lot of people at that time. John is who's rejecting that light, that, 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 that presence of God that was with them, the revelation of God right there. He's being revealed. John is constantly telling them about who he is. And you got other witnesses chiming in, telling them about who he is. But you had these, these so-called Jews now rejecting him. The very ones who were looking for the Messiah are the very ones. The majority of these people right here is rejecting him. Now, you have some Gentiles there in the crowd, you know, that which would later accept him as the Jews rejected him. You know, some Gentiles here saw the light. They saw the light. They heard what was being said. But it was the Jews, the very ones who were supposed to accept him. They were the very ones. Remember he said he came to his very own. He's talking about his chosen people. You know, Israel, you know, they rejected him. The Hebrews, they rejected him. 
But you had some Gentiles, man. Their ears were perked up, man. They was hearing this thing, man. They was liking what they heard. And they eventually, you know, had the gospel preached to them. Peter and them preached to them. And Gentiles got saved, starting with Cornelius. First Gentile to get converted was Cornelius. Cornelius was in that crowd. That's why Cornelius was so impressed with what the Jews was rejecting. When he heard it, man, he thought, man, this is awesome for me and my family. Getting this revelation. It was revealed to him. He was hearing it from witnesses. And he started practicing giving arms and doing things that they was rejecting to do. And the Lord was impressed by that. That's why he told Peter, go minister to him and his family. Get them saved. Because the, the ones who are invited don't want it. Then go get the ones who are not invited. Go in that hedgeways and bow and, and impel them to come. Come to the light. This great light is shining among you. This revelation of Jesus Christ is being unveiled. It's being revealed. And we know that Cornelius and his whole house got saved. But look at verse 12, man. He, he, no respect to person. He goes on here to talk about this revelation. He said, but as many as receive him, talking about Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the light of men, the life of men, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, who he said he is. John writes about how Jesus Christ was Wonderfully received by some, not everybody, how he did, uh, uh, how did they receive him? By believing. <clears throat> I hope y'all heard that. How did they receive him? By believing. Okay. Receiving him resulted in some who became the sons of God. Not everybody. And a lot of them who became on that day was Gentiles. Because they did what? They did the simple little thing that a lot of people refuse to do. It can't be that simple. Just believe he is who he say he is. Just believe who the witnesses say he is. Those who were right there with him are revealing who he was. He's the Christ. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ, the anointed son of the living God. And the Jews heard him and others heard him. Other travelers, every, other people that were listening. But the Gentiles believed. And some of them were converted and got saved. That's what revelations about Jesus Christ is supposed to do. Get people to believe. That's why I'm teaching it. You know, so you can hear it. See how it impacted others. See what these witnesses are saying. It's all right here. It was written for us that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And his name is the only way for eternal life. You know, but he says that many has received him, knowing that everybody was not going to receive him, even though he was dwelling among them. Everybody's not going to get the revelation to Jesus Christ. They're going to think this is too simple. They're going to think, why ain't we talking about how to get me a new house, get a new car, get a new this, get a new that? What's in it for me? How to make some money off of it, how to market it, how to merchandise it, how to create some product off of it, write some books off of it. You know, that form of godliness but deny the power thereof, forever learning, but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. Can't see right before you what is revealed to you. Verse 13, he goes on to say, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what revelation is the apostle John revealing here in this verse, verse 13? Let's examine his revelation of Jesus Christ and see. He reveals that the source of becoming a child of God means this. A new birth, number one, is not of man. Number two, it was of God only. 
So that's what he's saying right there, you know, that if you're going to come into a, re a, a revelation and an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, it's only going to happen through a new birth that only God can produce. Man can't do this. Man can make you some promises, but you will have no new birth unless it comes through God. And you can't get it from God unless you come through his son, Jesus Christ, and acknowledge him. That's called being born from above. Remember in, in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, a dynamic, awesome encounter and conversation is taking place. And it's John who is a part of the Sanhedrin council. In other words, he was a part of the religious governing body. They the ones who decided for all the people, the local residents, you know, in the city there, what was what was uh, of the law of Moses and what was of the law of Abraham and what was of the law of God and what was not. They were the deciding ones on the scriptures. Everybody went to them, the Sanhedrin council, to decide these issues. But I love this conversation and this encounter. When you, when you look over in the book of John, the third chapter, Jesus has an encounter with one of their own, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is just wise enough to want to know more about Jesus. He right away recognized this, this guy is not really of this world. He's not like us. There's something different about him. He's beginning now to have the same impact on him that everybody else is having. The revelation of Jesus Christ is being revealed. Now, they've been learning about him. They've been discussing him. But their idea of him was to ride in on some big horse, some big stallion with an with a, with a entourage of chariots and guardsmen and all that, you know, coming in, laying out, you know, stuff on the ground for him and all of that, like some, some royal six-foot-seven king with all this armor on. That was their idea. But Jesus didn't come that way. But one thing Nicodemus couldn't deny, the words that came out of his mouth. Now, remember, Jesus is the incarnated word of God made flesh. He's the living word. Now, John is hearing something different than what he had heard and what he had studied and what they talked about in the Sanhedrin Council. He was hearing not the logos. He was hearing the rhema. He was hearing the live, living word speaking to him. He was hearing Jesus actually being the revelation of himself. He couldn't deny that. He never heard nobody talk like that. He never heard anybody in the council, which was made up about 70 people, elders and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, who were supposed to have been Bible scholars. But he never heard nobody talk like that. Them words had life to it. Them words had light to it. You know, he was experiencing that life that we talked about back in verse 4 and 5. You know, he was experiencing, it was lighting him up. It was igniting something in him, a curiosity, a spiritual curiosity rose up in, John, in, in Nicodemus. Because, see, that's what happens when that revelation comes, when that unveiling and that revealing comes. You can't deny the truth. You know, you cannot deny the power. He heard the word, but he couldn't deny the power. That's why the kingdom of God is not in word only, according to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. He said the kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power. Nicodemus heard the word, and he felt the power. Couldn't deny it. So he followed him. He said, I got to get more. In. I got to inquire a little bit more about this. I got to have him reveal a little bit more about this. Them statements he made. Except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, except you be born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He heard that. And he came later, man, in secret and said, let me hear a little bit more about that. I need I need some more revelation about this. I need I need to hear some more about this. And Jesus said, it's simple. That that is born of the flesh is flesh. That is born of the spirit is spirit. He mean you. I, I got to go back into my mother's womb and be born again. This ain't making no sense. A carnal minded person cannot discern the things of the spirit. 
See, your mind got to be renewed. You got to be born again, and only God can do that. So Jesus is telling him, I came from above. You got to be born from where I came from. I come to reveal my father to you who is in heaven. And when you see me, you see him. And you got to be born of him through me to see this revelation, to receive what I'm telling you. You can't see it. You cannot see his kingdom. It's invisible to you if you are not born again. If you are not filled with his spirit, born of the spirit, which comes down from the father, which sent the promise to us. You can't see what I'm talking about. You can't discern what I'm talking about. Nicodemus has nothing to do with physically you going back in your mother's womb. You already did that. You already been born of the water. That water broke and you came forth like everybody else. But right now there's something else. You also got to be born from above. That new birth in order to see and understand what I'm talking about. You must be born again. Born of the spirit. And so he's revealing this revelation himself directly to him because Jesus also bears witness and the spirit bears witness. There's three that bear witness, you know, you know, the spirit, the word and the father. You know, and so he says, you know, he's not born. Verse 13, he says, I'm, that, that, I'm, that, I'm not born of that kind of blood or of that kind of will of the flesh uh, or nor of any man, but of God. You know, but of God, don't get don't get confused, Nicodemus, you know. So what revelation is the Apostle John revealing here in verse 13? We see it right there. You know, we have to examine it. Jesus Christ, you know, that, that's the revelation he's revealing. You know, he's the source that becomes a child of God, you know. And, and when you're dealing with him, you're dealing with the child of God, you know, the son of God. If you want to become a child of God, he's telling him you got to be born again from above. That's number one, not born of man. You know, not born of man, but only of God. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. Now that this is the third witness of John the apostle to, 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 to the people. Let's go a little further in verse 14 and see what else. See what's the third level of his, of his witnessing and those who are actually eyewitnesses with him. He's writing down not only his own witness, but he's actually writing down to what Jesus had to say and what those who are there with them have to say, too. So he's encompassing all of this as he writes this letter in uh, chapter 1. So let's look at verse 14. He says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. See this revelation beginning to unfold now that this got to be the Messiah. This has to be the only begotten of the Father. Can't nobody else come with this kind of knowledge, this kind of wisdom, except he be sent from God. Full of grace and truth. He states that Jesus Christ became flesh. That's important. He's telling them that. His proof of that is that Jesus Christ dwelt visibly among them. He's got his eyes fixed on him. He can touch him. He's feeling him. He laid in his bosom. He was a part of the wit he, he was a part of the healing process. He was a part of the ministry. He was a part of the teaching of Jesus. He was right there. He had a ringside seat. He visibly saw him. He visibly spoke with him. He visibly received and was taught by him. He learned from him. He loved him and was loved by him. He was the one that Jesus was, was called him the beloved, and he laid in his bosom. That was called an intimate relationship with him. And John was, 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 was highlighting this. He said, my proof is this, is that we visibly had him right here with us. 
that he and his glory was seen by many of them. Couldn't deny that. They saw all the work that he did, the glorious things he did. You couldn't deny that there was a, a, a man sent from man that did that. That man was sent from God. He says they all saw that he was full of grace and truth. Notice that all of them that were there. These are the witnesses that John is talking about now. This is the third time he's seeing uh, uh, things about Jesus that nobody else had ever seen. And they could, no, they could not credit anybody else because they'd never seen anything like this. Only somebody sent from God. They're seeing this revelation unfold before them. They're seeing his glory. You know, they're visibly experiencing this. And so I'm very interested in what they saw. I'm very interested in how John wrote it, that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God even today. And that through his name, that's the only way we can have eternal life. You know, he came down from the father to present that verse 15. He says, John bear witness of him. Now he's making a reference to John the Baptist and cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. He's talking about Jesus. Now we know John was that voice for he was before me. John has more proof that John the Baptist also bore witness of the deity and the supreme supernatural divine miraculous power of God. See, John is writing this down because he has recollection of what John the Baptist has said. <coughs> that voice crying in the wilderness. So he's using that to make his case right here to reveal who Jesus is. Sometimes we have to use what the scriptures say. People don't use what John the Baptist said enough. Voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We don't use the scripture enough to make our case. We like to try to pull our little understanding in there. Our little twist, our little fable, our little folks' tales and all that stuff. You know, the way we talk, you know, try to reach people. But he said this right here, what John talked about, that man, about the deity, the supreme, supernatural, divine, miraculous power of God, his superiority as the Christ, Messiah, the anointed son of the living God. Remember, John said, hey, he said, behold, the Lamb of God coming, who takes away the sins of the world, who was, who, who is, who is to be, you know, come again. You know, he's seen him. He said, he said, I'm not even worthy enough, man, to unlatch the straps on his sandals. He said, he the one going to baptize you with fine power, you know, over there, I think in the book of Matthew chapter three, verse 10 and 11, I think that's where it's at, you know, and he, and he's telling them he's out there baptizing under repentance and John see Jesus coming up, the lamb of God. He, he tells them, Hey, behold, there he is. But I noticed what John said about him when he came. And a lot of times pre preachers mess this up. I heard bishops and apostles. They said, I need to decrease so he can increase. But John says it like this. And this is why you got to go to the scripture so it can reveal what the truth is. He said, he must increase so I can decrease. John realized he didn't have the power to do it. He realized that, the, that Christ had to come and do it. And now he's out there baptizing under repentance and Jesus walks up so he can fulfill the baptism. He can fulfill every conceivable human uh, endeavor that was supposed to be, you know, done because he had he had not sinned in any of it. And this is what John is revealing, you know, to, about him, you know, and he's saying, you know, take John the Baptist witness of him. John saw him. John, John baptized him. You know, if you don't want to believe me, you know what I'm revealing to you. Get, get, you know, listen at what he said, you know, all of this is part of it. Verse 16, he says, and of his fullness have all we received 
and grace for grace. Here is this here in this verse. We see John's witness here, how men have and can receive the fullness and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's all John is telling us here. You can if you want to or you can reject like the Jews and like others. It's pretty much up to you. But see, you have to come to him believing. That's the key right there, that he is who he say he is. That John, who John says he is, who the revelation say he is, you can't deny that. Because you're already condemned if you do. But see, if you come re re believing, now he can reveal himself to you more. You know. And that's what John is saying. He said, you know, the, talking about the fullness you can receive. We have received it because we have the whole volume of the book. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ right here. The full, I'm talking about the full revelation. That's right. You know, he is the Christ, son of the living God. We have it right here. John has wrote it down for us. Why? That we might believe. Go back to verse, uh, chapter 20 of John, uh, verse 31. That we might believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that through his name, we can have eternal life. Period. That's a revelation that a lot of people miss. They want to, you know, you got folks out there like Oprah talking about there's other ways. And you got some other folks out there preaching and teaching the same thing. Trying to help people find another way to get away from the deity of Christ. You know, his superiority. You know, that's the revelation that they don't, they don't, they don't want to give that kind of credit to him. They want to make it about them. You got to come through me, Pope, the Pope and, and all these other people. The bishops and the apostles, you know, and, and we should be talking about Christ, revealing things about Christ, unveiling things about Christ, Jesus Christ. He is the, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. And except you be born again of, 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 uh, you know, of that knowledge from above, you know, we, we already condemned and we perish for a lack of knowledge. Let's go with verse 17. We just remember, he is the Christ. He's the fullness and the grace that comes through the Father through Jesus Christ. Verse 17, he says, For the law was given by Moses, amen, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's a revelation, y'all. Only he understands it and not the law, okay? Only he understands it and not the law, okay? Not the law. You know, anybody who, who think it, understand that it's by keeping the law, you're already condemned. Only he who understands that it's not by the law shall be saved. Okay? Because the letter of the law killeth, but the Spirit of God giveth life. It says, but by Jesus Christ and him only. Not by the law. Understand that. That's a revelation right there. You can keep all the law you want. Jesus, remember, came and fulfilled the law so we don't have to, but we have to respect it. It's the same thing as the law of the land. We have to respect all law. You know, but Jesus came and fulfilled it because he knew we couldn't. Okay? And gave us grace instead. Satisfied God's propitiation. That's a revelation right there. Verse 18, he goes on to say, and we're coming in now. No man have seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. John now writes this, how God has revealed the revelations about himself through his son, Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the father, the only begotten son of the father. God chose to do that. That's how he's going to reveal him. I don't care how many other plans and ideas and books and, and stuff that people come up out here with. This is the this is God's way right here. This is the only way. There's no other way. You know, this is what God has revealed. 
revelations about himself through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the personification of that. He's the magnification of that. You know, if you want to see God, look at his son, Jesus. There he is. And that's what a lot of people want to deny. You know, can't be. He's a prophet. No, that's what they said back then. He is the revelation of God, the father, Jesus Christ. You know, uh, let's get two more verses here and we're going to end for this morning. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, meaning the Lord, this, uh, John is witnessing again here. Uh, let's talk. Let's see in verse 19, he goes back to reference John the Baptist, a witness again. You can see he going back and forth because John the Baptist had a powerful witness and a powerful testimony. A lot of people don't listen to him, but he was very powerful. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. Remember that. What was he crying about? Prepare the way for Jesus to come. Verse 19, he says, and this is the record of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? Talking about John the Baptist. John was questioned by the religious folks of that day, of his day, because of Jesus Christ and John's revelation of him. These people were very superstitious of John. That's why they asked, who, who are you? They were superstitious. You got superstitious people out there today. What he had to say about Jesus Christ was too much for their little finite minds to handle. It's the same thing today. You start talking about Jesus, man, and, and people want you to talk about something else. Jesus Christ, we dare you. Who are, who are you anyway? That's what they're telling John. We dare you to be out here talking like, who are you anyway? You got a little, little piece of skin around your waist, you're beardy, you're smelly, you're smelly, you're out here eating locusts and honey, barefoot, ain't got no clothes on. Who are you anyway? I, John's like, I dare you to question who I am. I'm a voice. They asked him in a very suspect manner. Even today, man, there are people got probably suspect about us. You know why? We ain't got no labels out there. We ain't got no books out there. We ain't got no product out there. We ain't begging for no money. You know, we're not being aggressive to, to say this, say that. You know, people got, they, 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 they're suspicious about us. You know, I know they are, you know. We've had them ride by the trip when we was in the building, you know, called us a coat. Labeled us as all kinds of things. Thought we were selling something that we we able to get do giveaways and pay for it and all that. Wasn't asking about it for no money. Ain't selling no chicken dinner, doing no fundraisers. You know, we were totally out of the box, man. Just serving God. You know, knowing who Jesus is, knowing that He supply everything we need according to the rich and glory by Christ. As long as we kept Him first, long as we looked to Him, not to finish develop our faith. Long as we saw Him as the Son of God. Long as we taught Him, preached about Him, lift up His name. All of our needs were met. We were able to outreach, do all the things that God had called us to do, just like creating this prayer culture for God. It's a total success because it's for God, you know. And people just have a problem with that. They, they're suspicious of you because you're teaching and preaching sound doctrine without compromise. You're loving them. You're praying for them. They got a problem with that. Something got to be going on in their mind. But we're driving right on in Jesus. We ain't, we, we, we ain't stopping, as Pastor Phoebe said. Last verse, verse 20. Let's see what it says here, and then we're going to end and he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He came back in this verse and addressed his, uh, their concerns in this manner. He told them that he was a man who knew who he was. You can't trap, nor can you trick me. <laughs> I got the goods on him. I mean, John knew about Jesus. He knew who sent him. I got revealed scoop on him. I got the un, uh, unfolded, revealed revelations about him. I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. But he got some sure enough good revelations about him. 
you know, he was that voice, man. You have to remember now, he was Elizabeth's son. You have to remember when Mary went to see her when she was six months pregnant with John. And as she went there, she was also uh, going to be, was pregnant with Jesus. As she talked to her, John, the Holy Ghost leaped inside of her because she was carrying John, this very man right here, Elizabeth and Zachariah's son. Now he's out here prophesying. He's out here telling them, man, I got some scoop on Jesus. I got some inside stuff on Jesus. I know too much about him to doubt him. I don't care what y'all say. That's what John is telling them. I know the deal. Don't look at me how I look on the outside. Hear what's in my heart about him. You know, I got the revelation about him, you know, is what he's saying there in verse 20. So, amen. We're going to go ahead and end right there. It is now 7 o'clock. Father, we thank and praise you for the word this morning. We thank and praise you, Lord God, for this topic, for revelations about Jesus Christ. We're learning more than we've ever learned before. And, God, we owe you all the credit. We give you all the praise. We're just praying and hoping that this has been a blessing and enlightening to all those out there, Lord God, that follow us. That hear so, amen. Let's pray and get into the word. Father God, in the awesome, incredible, amazing name of your son, Jesus, we come tonight, Lord God, humbled by your spirit. Humbled, Lord God, because... Uh, we just uh, want to please you so we realize, Lord God, it's in humility and not humiliation that we please you. So we come before you tonight, Lord God, first of all, just to say thank you for another day. Thank you for another opportunity. Thank you for life, health, and strength. Thank you for being clothed in our right mind. Thank you for the activity of our limbs. Thank you that we breathe, move, and have our being. And we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor tonight for what you're about to say to us tonight through that word. So we ask you tonight, Lord God, to bless your word. We ask for a word of wisdom and knowledge tonight, understanding tonight, clarity of thought tonight. As we bring forth this word tonight, Lord God, we just pray for wisdom and understanding tonight of the word, enlightenment of the word, revelation being revealed and unfolded tonight. So we might be able, Lord God, to walk away uh, lessons learned, uh, taught by the Holy Spirit, that we may be able to go forth and apply this word to our lives. And so we give you all the praise of the Holy Ghost. We ask you to have your way on tonight. You teach. I'll just be the vessel, and I yield myself to you right now. And just thank and praise you right now. Give ear to hear, give hearts to receive, and minds tonight to be able to comprehend the word and be renewed by the things of God. So we give you all the praise and glory and honor for it right now. Thank you for all those on the line tonight, even those that are coming on. Uh, we just thank you for them tonight, Father. And we just ask you to be a blessing to them tonight. In Jesus' wonderful name, we receive your word now. Amen and amen. All right then. Well, tonight we want to uh, pick up a, a study tonight. A uh, lot going on. I'm uh, pretty sure you're aware of it. We've had some significant weather. Matter of fact, uh, Houston, Texas down there is still getting pounded right now uh, with uh, storm and tropical storm better, I think it is, uh, water uh, like they've never seen before. And a lot of uh, car rescue, people rescue from cars who Started out, thought they could drive through it, but found out that it was just too much. That's the power of water. And they un can't underestimate, uh, uh, you know, anything these days. And uh, along with that, we're, we're seeing uh, so much fallout and unrest right now going on in, in, in our nation's capital and around the globe. Uh, people are protesting polling sites because early voting has started, and there are people showing up with rebel flags and pickup trucks and guns and everything trying to generate an atmosphere of fear as people are trying to exercise their constitutional right to vote. And this is going on in, in, in all of these polling places and voting places that are open for voting. And so we just got a lot going on. And, uh, you know, and I want to speak tonight from a subject that the Lord, uh, as I've tried to process all of this and pray about it and just meditate on it and think over it and ponder over it and 
and just trying to see what else is it that, uh, that I could do as a, as a pastor. And uh, uh, probably since the 18th, I've been kind of in a way fasting and praying, not a total fast, but just uh, giving up some things that I like, like coffee. I haven't had any coffee since then. I've been reading the word more. I've been drinking more water, uh, eating more raw vegetable, fruit, and nuts, you know, and just trying to keep my spirit open so uh, if God can use that fast and my prayer time and my study time to break any of these strongholds and these jokes, then I'm all in because that's about all I can do right now, and I'm definitely uh, exercising my right to vote, amen, registered voter. And so we just give God praise, glory, and honor. You know, you got all this freaking out over uh, Justice Ginsburg's request to have her seat filled after the election, being ignored. GOP is, you know, in a mad rush to get a replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg's vacant seat on the uh, Supreme Court bench of the United States uh, of America Supreme Court. And uh, so we just pray for God's divine delay. And I ask you to be in agreement with me. Uh, I started praying this and fasting about this on specifically about these three things, and that's a divine delay, divine intervention, and divine justice will prevail over all that man is trying to rush to do and, you know, in, in denial of uh, awesome woman of the of the Supreme Court for 27 years, you know, served our nation well. And her last dying request was to just have a delay till after the election. Could you please put your phone on mute? You, you know the drill. Put your phone on mute, please. I don't need all the noise. Thank you. And so those are three things that I'm fasting and praying about. And so I'd ask you to be in agreement with you there. Uh, maybe we can have some impact by praying. And if you can fast from something, I'd ask you to do that too, because we're in a seriously critical time right now. And uh, 40 something days out, two days, I think it is, before the election. And it's going to be probably one of the most historical, significant ones we've ever gone through. Uh, but we know that, uh, and this is what I want to talk to you about tonight, is that uh, God keeps and protects and preserves the righteous, and he destroys the wicked. We don't have to because God will. What we need to focus on is that God keeps, preserves, and protects the righteous, even in the midst of what's going on. I know it don't seem like it. We're over 201,000 right now dying from COVID-19 and several others out there from the storm, from the fires all over the place in four different states, and the radical people that are out there protesting with Trump hats on and Trump flags on and, you know, and uh, trying to create fear and people are dying out there as a result of it just trying to exercise a right but we pray for that divine delay that divine uh, intervention and that divine justice will prevail because we know god preserves the righteous and he destroys the wicked and if you are righteous if we are righteous people if we say we are and we die in christ we are still righteous and if we live in wickedness and we die in christ we're still the wicked, and we're going to have to give an account of that. Best thing we can do if we're in that category, that latter category, is just repent before we die. Turn away from it and get it right. Amen. Like I said, there's been over 200,000 deaths from COVID-19, and that ought to keep us right there focused. That's enough right there, man, to concern everybody. And the president is dying, downplaying it, which is horrifying to me. So, um, I too started uh, out a little bit earlier with concerns, but I really heard in the spirit as I was fasting and praying the other morning, 
What I choose to believe was a distinct, recognizable voice of God. And this is what it came to me saying. My son, don't worry. None of them are in charge nor in control of anything that my father, our father, your father in heaven don't allow. And he said, he says, now that's that. Don't worry about it. And if he allows it to come to pass, then that's that. Fret not yourself over what evildoers and the wicked do. They being do, they, I said, uh, they are being done or doing it for decades. They've been doing it for decades. Uh, it says they will soon be cut off and wither like grass. And not, uh, no, not like grace, but like grass. Yes, you heard me right, my son, like grass because of the evil uh, ways and wickedness that they're portraying right now. And uh, that was very encouraging to me. And anytime I hear something like that, I always like to go back it up, verified by the scripture. And so I know that I have been reading a passage of scripture that talks about fretting what evildoers are doing. And I was taken over to the book of Psalms chapter 37. So let me just read you uh, what I found. Uh, this is in the book of Psalms chapter 37, verse 1 through 13, the King James Bible. And it says this, and you can read the whole chapter. It just, it just unfolds that way. And it says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, nor be thy envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord. This was so important to me. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land. No need to worry. And verily I, uh, thou shalt be fed. I was fed. I really was at that critical moment there. <coughs> Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Remember, my desire is, as I'm fasting and praying right now, is for God's divine, de divine delay, God's divine intervention, and God's divine justice to prevail. That's the desire of my heart right now at this moment for the next 40 days. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. My God, that was encouraging. And he shall bring forth the righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. That's not the answer. I'm fasting and praying, not wishing them any ill, not doing any evil against them. Uh, but I'm just fasting and praying about it for God's divine delay in that seat being filled, uh, God's divine intervention, and God's divine justice to prevail because we know he holds the king's heart in his hand. Uh, he allows things to happen. He has a track record of that. But at the end of the day, it's still he gets the final word, the final say. And he says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and I don't know what that little while is, and I know a day with the Lord is a thousand years and thousand years is a day, uh, so I, I, just, I just take it on God's word. Uh, in, a, in a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place. <laughs> he won't be there anymore. And it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, 
those who humble themselves and stay humble and shall delight themselves in the abundance of his peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnashing is upon him with his teeth, you know, chewing them up, spitting them out, you know, like nothing they can do about it. And that's kind of where the uh, democracy is right now. That's kind of where uh, the parties are right now. Uh, the Senate, the president, them talking about just chewing up, you know, their own words that they had said never again would they withhold in the last year of a of a president's, uh, you know, term to put somebody in the seat, fill a seat, but they're eating them words up. They're eating up everybody who try to oppose that, like chewing them up, spitting them out because they're in power until they can do that. The Lord shall laugh at them. <laughs> that was encouraging to me. For he seeth that his day is coming. We may not see it, but the Lord sees it. And uh, my eyes was open today to go back and just reflect on this and it was encouraging to me, and I've been meditating on it, pondering over it, thinking on it, uh, and it's just really been enlightening and very encouraging. And so uh, I asked the Lord, what about the righteous? I see what's going to happen to the wicked. I kind of see in there what's going to happen to the righteous too, but I did personally ask, Lord, what about the righteous? And he said, righteousness is that quality or state of being morally correct and justifiable. It can be considered uh, synonymous with rightness or being upright. And we know that there's no good thing that the Lord withhold from those who walk upright before him. A lot of times people just say no good thing with the Lord withhold. But the, the condition is we got to walk upright. We got to continue to keep our focus stayed on the prize, which is God and what God requires, what God's will is. You know, that's going to be done hopefully through us. Who is that city who have to live our lives like that city that sits on a hill that cannot be hid, letting our light so shine that men will see our good works and they too will glorify our Father, which is in heaven. And so what does God say about the righteous? Jesus asserts the importance of righteousness by saying, and I got some scriptures here uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, for I, King James Bible, he said, for I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to figure out how to become righteous and stay righteous once we become righteous. You know, uh, it's kind of like when you look at a marriage, when a man and a woman gets married, they all share some things in common, but there are things they don't share in common. But you have to build on and focus on the things that you share in common and then figure out a way where you can agree to disagree or agree on those things that you don't have in common. But through faith, a man is married to God, same type of relationship. And he says through faith in Christ, therefore, Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness and all that he has becomes ours, rather he himself becomes ours. What he has becomes ours, whether he himself becomes ours. And so that's kind of give you a snapshot right there about how God views righteousness. Man's relationship with God has always been defined by God's promises and, and by faith in him. That's always the way it's been defined. That relationship is based on that, you know, because without faith, we don't please God. And, uh, and we're talking about faith in God. And some of these people right now in charge don't have no faith in God. They have faith in their own ability. And so everything they're doing right now is unrighteous and it goes against everything that God wants done. And that's why it's not going to prevail. That's why it's going to be soon cut off in a little while. Even before the fall unto sin of Adam and Eve, they were righteous in God's eyes. 
not because of their obedience or disobedience, but because God declared them good and they believed initially. Now, we know Satan came in in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, the King James Bible, and deceived Eve, and they had to make a choice. And they made an unrighteous choice and cut the relationship with God. Faith has always defined righteousness. Thus, righteousness before God cannot depend on human achievement or merit, as we see right there in the garden. It didn't work. It was a test. They blew it. They made the wrong choice. Every day of our life is filled with tests, and we have to know that God tests our faith, but Satan tries to tempt us to, to deceive us so that we can stop, uh, you know, stop uh, depending on God, you know, such as the idea was a possibility uh, in the garden, but they blew it. Please put your phone on mute when you come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and there's two types of righteousness that we that we we have as saints. One is imputed righteousness, you know, and uh, there's another righteousness that comes through justification, uh, and it's an inherent righteousness. That is that holiness and grace which is in the heart and lives of the saints. Once you become Christ's, those are some of the fruit that 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 you that that the Holy Spirit produces in you. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, he he is the fruit producer. He produces that in us. Uh, you know, and this is God's righteousness to us. It's imputed to us. Uh, it's imputed righteousness in Christ and righteousness accepted from uh, him uh, to them, those of us who receive him. So this is an inherent holiness in God's righteousness. And so he makes us holy because he's holy in righteousness. <clears throat> and he communicates that to us. And that's why we can say we are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, our, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. And so we understand that. So can a righteous person then commit a sin? Because a lot of these people that right now out there are saying that they're righteous, but they're doing unrighteous things. So can a righteous person commit a sin? If, right, if a righteous man or woman turns from his righteousness and commits sin, he would die for it because the sin, has, uh, the sin he or she has committed, you know, will die. And so if they in that sin, they too are going to die. But if a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right in the eyesight of God, he will save his life. OK. And so, you know, so again, the question is, what about the righteous? That's kind of what I asked the Lord as I was praying and he, tell, he was showing me all these things about all this wickedness that are going that's going on right now in, in this evil day. And uh, I was trying to figure out how to redeem some of this time because the days are evil. And I just asked the Lord to allow me to be able to fast on the 18th and just for the next 21 days, just fast and pray. So I'm kind of doing a Daniel's diet as my fast and I'm, I'm amping up my Bible study, amping up my prayer time three or four times a day and just constantly, uh, you know, dedicating myself because if, if God can pr provide an answer to my prayer with the, de a desire of my heart to have a de de divine delay of this uh, seat being filled and his divine intervention because only he can change the king's heart and turn it whatsoever he will and for his divine justice because there's a lot of injustice taking place even as we speak you know young people are being gunned down in the streets of these protests uh, at these voting polls and it will continue but over in the book of first peter chapter 4 verse 16 to 19 the king james bible says this if a uh, if any man suffer as a christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify god on this behalf that's tough for me for the time is come that judgment must begin 
at the house of God. When I read that, I said, it's got to begin right here with me, Lord, so I'm going to fast and pray, you know, as best I can. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey or, or that obey not the gospel of God? And it's a question asked there. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Another question is asked. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit uh, the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto the faithful creator. That's in the book of First Peter chapter 4, verse 16 through 19, King James Bible. Again, remember, I asked the Lord, what is it that I can do? And uh, so, therefore, comes a 21-day fast that uh, I, can, I can do. You know, I'm going to make some sacrifices there on a lot of things uh, that I normally do that I will not do while I'm fasting and praying. Righteousness is one of the chief attributes of God, and uh, it's, it's, it's all portrayed right there in the Hebrew Bible, the Greek language, and Aramaic language. Uh, wherever you read it at, it's, it's all right, the Chaldean language. Uh, it's all uh, contributed to the attributes of God as portrayed in all those Bibles, starting with the Hebrew Bible. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's chief meaning centers around a moral and ethical conduct like we read in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 36, Deuter the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 1, the book of Psalms, chapter 1, verse 6, and the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 20. Uh, and one of the people you can look at when it comes down to describing this type of uh, righteousness you can look at uh, Job, you know, Job was introduced as a person who was perfectly in righteousness. You know, that's, that's, that's what the scripture says about him. Over in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 35 and 30 through 37, the King James Bible says this, ye shall, you, ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meteorite, or in weight, or in measure. Just balances, just weights, and just ephraims, and just hens, shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, ye shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. Again, that's in the, under the Leviticus law. And you heard a lot of these terms. These are Hebrew terms, okay? And they have a meaning. And it, all of it says uh, everything shall be done based on how the Hebrew Bible or whatever Bible you use them here, particularly in this particular Leviticus law is using the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew language and the Hebrews understood this language. And it was talking about that just balance being just, you know, if it's unjust, then it can't, it can't be considered righteousness, even in judgment. And so you got to follow what the, what the, what the Bible says in that day for them. And we have the Bible today, the Holy Bible, the King James Bible that we follow today. And it has not changed. Even in the book of Deuteronomy, as I said, chapter 25, verse 1 through 4, the King James Bible says this. If there be a controversy between men, and there's a big one right now up on Capitol Hill, the two parties fighting like cats and dogs, and they come unto judgment. They're both judging each other, and, and all of them are lost. That the judges may judge them. Then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. We know that's not going to happen, you know. And it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face according to his fault. But a certain number, 40 stripes he may give him and not exceed, least if he should exceed and beat him above these 
with many stripes, then the brother should seem vile unto thee. And thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. That's in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 1 through 4, King James Bible. Again, this is another law written with understanding to those Hebrews and Jews of that day. Okay? They understood this. Okay? Thank God that uh, our system of laws are constitutional uh, laws now enforced and we know that the very law writers, the law givers, the law makers are the very ones right now that is violating the law. And we go around saying no one should be above the law. And that has become just good chatter. No one is really enforcing the law. And when it's enforced, it's enforced out of convenience for those, uh, you know, who can pay bribes, who can be bought, you know, who can who can do friends for their favor, for the favor for their friends. But thank God that there's coming a day of vengeance and God is going to God is going to. And I pray uh, he's going to let judgment, you know, fall where it may. And everyone is going to be held accountable to the full extent of the law. Uh, as we read uh, over in the book of Psalms, chapter 37, they're going to soon be cut off after a little while. And so I'm just, you know, God's law has not done or been done away with, even though it was old covenant. Jesus just fulfilled it. You know, and he's given us grace. But if you don't repent and turn to him, then grace is not sufficient for you. It's for, for sufficient for the righteous, those who repent and turn to him. You know, and, 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 and that's that to me is a tragedy right there to have so great a salvation right here made available and then reject it, not accept it. It's always been there since Jesus was on this earth. That's what he came to do. And he instituted it. And he says, how can we neglect so great a salvation that was beginning to be preached when Jesus was right here on this earth? He taught it. And that's the only way that you can break the cycle of wickedness, break the cycle of these evil days and these evil acts and these evil behavior and these crazy things that people are doing right now and calling it righteousness when we know it's unrighteousness. And so he goes on to say in the book of Psalms, chapter one, verses four through six of the King James Bible, he said the ungodly are not so. They don't do no righteousness. In their own mind, they do. That's why the Lord said that except our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, there's no righteousness at all. But are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. That's why he says it's going to only be for a little while and they're going to be cut off. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Man, I, I, I won't say I got excited, but I was relieved because I'm beginning to see now the difference between what's going to happen with the righteous that we can just continue to endure doing righteousness before God and what's going to happen to the wicked if they continue to do wickedness before God. And then over in the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verse 13 to 23, the King James Bible says this, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and princesses decree justice. By me, princesses rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, doable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I, I, I lead in the way of righteousness and in the midst of the paths of judgment 
that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, a substance, and I will fill their treasures. The Lord uh, possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from the everlasting from the beginning of ever the earth was the book of Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 verse 23 the King James Bible so you see right there God had wisdom all the way from the beginning wisdom was with God and he said if you lack wisdom and this is wisdom this is her speaking to us right here on the behalf of God you know because God is wisdom he's, he, he's the only wise God our Savior everything he says is as wise as it gets there's no wisdom higher than his spoken word his spoken promises his spoken commands and wisdom understands that. Wisdom understands who is her, or her originator. She understands where she came from. And it behooves us if we like this wisdom to ask God, I don't care what position we hold. I mean, I care about what's going to happen if you reject it, but I don't care what position you're in. If you like wisdom, you can get wisdom, which is the principal thing, and God will give it to you liberally. And then in your getting and all your getting, he wants you to get understanding because he's only going to preserve, protect, and keep the righteous, and he's going to destroy the wicked. And so if they know what's good for them, uh, they will get wisdom and get understanding so they know how to apply it. Over in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 11 through 12, the King James Bible says this, more wisdom here talking to us. Let her speak to us. It says, the house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. There is a way which seemeth right unto man. Just because you're in power don't mean everything you're doing is justifiably right before God. Somebody need to tell them that so they can wake up. But I'm praying for a divine delay, and I'm praying for God's divine intervention, and I'm praying for God's divine justice to prevail in this situation right now. But the end thereof are the ways of death. That's God's word. That's not me. That's wisdom speaking. And, and I'm so glad that we can get this wisdom so we can know what the, what the outcome is going to be as we go forward. We need to be encouraged because we are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 11 through 12, the King James Bible. It goes on again and, and, and reiterate, he reiterates this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 20, the King James Bible, which I stated earlier. He says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what's at stake right there. I know that all of this is going on on the political level right now in the government and uh, in the systems of this world, but there is something. He, 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 he began to deal with me and said, nothing should matter more than what, what God uh, has in store, what God's will is. Nothing should matter more than that, you know. And that's kind of where my, my mind took me to, uh, you know, when I read this. Uh, over in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 11 through verse 12, the King James Bible says this. How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not, be, not to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrines of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees, according to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 11 through 20, King James Bible. What he's saying here is when you, when you survey 
and when you explore the present climate that we're in, whether that be the governmental system, whether that be the religious system, whether that be the education system, whether that be the economical system, whatever system right now that we find ourselves in, whether we be politicians, clergy, uh, whether we be lo the lost souls out there, the prodigal sons out there, the the, you know, the backsliders out there, whether we be gay, straight, whether we be uh, part of the 4,200 denominations that are out there that struggle with the deity of Christ, or whether we be, you know, just just people, politicians, what regardless of what party we in, you know, whether we just, you know, just whoever we may be, man, woman, boy, girl, you know, what he's saying is this, you know, is that uh, we have to be so aware of the language that's going on out there right now, the rhetoric that's going on out there right now, uh, the toxic environment that is going on out there right now. And he says, you know, don't let that influence you because it will live in your whole life. It'll ruin your whole life. It'll destroy your whole life because it takes you away from the righteousness of God. And we already heard what the scripture said, you know. God is going to preserve, keep, and, and protect the righteous, but he's going to destroy the wicked. And that's the warning he's given right there. Amen. And so uh, when you're looking for a, a righteous person, amen, uh, the Bible gives us some examples of righteous people, and we're going to take just a brief look at some of them. And uh, if I were to ask any of you right now on this phone call to give me one example out of the Bible of a righteous man, uh, I gave you a little hint early when I talked about Job because the Bible calls him uh, one of the right, most righteous men on the earth at the time. But there are some others in the Bible, amen. And uh, you don't have to answer me because I, I know right now if I ask anybody, you probably would say, hmm, hmm, you're probably Googling on your phone and try to come up with somebody. So, you, so don't, don't answer me. Just think about it. But the Bible talks about three of the most righteous men in the Bible, and we want to take a look at them uh, uh, Ezekiel listed them in, in his writings, okay, he made reference to them, uh, you know, and it was they were righteous before Jesus' time on this earth. Uh, he talked about them in the Old Testament. He made reference to them. And what God was telling Ezekiel was that if he had uh, a mind to destroy a country, this is God talking to Ezekiel, uh, he said it was going to happen. Even if the three most righteous men in the world were living there, it didn't matter to God. He would still destroy it, and he would preserve them, you know, uh, like Noah, Daniel, and Job. Those are the three that Ezekiel was making reference to. But God said, hey, I would still destroy the wickedness around them, and I would preserve them. Why? Because I'm going to preserve and keep and protect the righteous, wherever they may be, but the, the wickedness that's on the land, I'm going to destroy that. And we know God would do that. Uh, we're in it that they could save only themselves by the righteousness declared the starving Lord and God. If uh, you said Abraham, Moses, and David, you were dead wrong. You were close, but you were dead wrong. Uh, they were righteous too, but they had some issues too, and uh, they had to get it straight uh, before they died. Remember Noah's drunkenness. Remember Daniel's confession and Job admitting that he cannot stand in his own defense can't God find any righteous men at all today? Uh, I pray and hope so, but I don't know so. Uh, I guess the lesson here is that mankind is deeply flawed, but still loved by God. And so again, God is promising that I'm going to keep, protect, you know, and preserve the righteous, but I'm going to destroy the wicked. Amen. None of those six people that I talked about were destroyed by God. They were destroyed by man. 
but God preserved them and kept them and protected them and they died as martyrs. They died as righteous men. So guess what? In death, they're still righteous. In judgment, they're still going to be righteous. Amen. Can't say that by some other people. Okay, over in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 38 through 40, the King James Bible, he says this. And he said unto them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing, dress up in a heartbeat, and love salutations in the marketplace. Ah, yeah, they go, they go scribe so-and-so, Pharisees so-and-so. And the chief seats in the synagogue fight you tooth and nail if you try to sit in their seat. And the uttermost rooms at feast, you know, <laughs> you know, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these shall receive greater damnation. So we have to be so careful out there, clergy, you know, you know, stay humble. Let God exalt us in due time. And again, that's in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 38 and verse 40. Amen. Because he who is greatest in the kingdom of God is he who served. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And so we have to be imitators of Christ because the scripture says in the book of first John, chapter uh, four, I want to say verse 17, as he is in the earth, so are we. Now, so we're supposed to do the work he did now that he's gone and the Holy Ghost help us, amen, to establish his righteousness, amen, by being the righteousness of God in, in, the, in the earth and, you know, being, just being imitators of him and greater works shall we do, is what he said. And, and those works are righteous works before him, amen. So when we go and look in the book of uh, Ezekiel chapter 14, let me just read this. It says, therefore, say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, repent. And turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling blocks of his iniquity before my before his face, and cometh to a prophet to uh, inquire of his his him concerning me i the lord shall answer him by myself and i will set my face against that man and will make him a sign and a proverb and i will cut him off from the midst of my people and ye shall know that i am the lord and if the prophet be deceived uh, when he has spoken a thing I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel, and they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him, that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions but that they may be my people and I may be their God, saith the Lord God. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out mine hand upon it, and I will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it be desolate, 
that no man may pass through because of the beast, though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver their sons nor their daughters, and they only shall be delivered. But the land shall be desolate, or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, sow it, go through the land so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, but they shall, they only shall be delivered themselves. Or if I send pestilence into the land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, though Noah, Daniel, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and uh, Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. But thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my fourscore judgment upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine and the Norsens beast and the pestilence to cut off from it a man and beast, yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters, behold, they shall come forth unto you, and ye shall see their way in their doings, and ye shall be confident concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I have brought upon it, and they shall comfort you when ye see their ways and doings, and their doings, and ye shall know that I have not done without cause all, have not done without cause all that I have done in it, saith the Lord. And it's just what God does. Amen. Because the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. Only the righteousness of God is going to be kept and preserved and protected by God as famines, as things of the earth is being judged, the land is being purged. You know, all these things are taking place. Natural disasters are taking place. We got COVID-19. We just got a lot of things and people are failing to step into the plate and take leadership. So these things are just having their way. They're just having their way. Could this be the sword of the Lord causing a punishment on the land because there's been neglect, because there's been denial? You know, can it be because there's been a spread of wickedness, gross immorality, you know, perversion? You know, could this be the sword of God's judgment? We don't know. But the righteous, he says, shall be spared during this time. They shall be protected, preserved and kept. It's the wicked that's going to be destroyed. And you might ask yourself a question. What about all these 200,001 people that have died? We don't know what those people's status was with God. We have to let God decide that. But we got to be concerned about the living right now. We can't do anything about the dead. You know, they're absent from the body, present with the Lord, hopefully. They're somewhere in paradise, either on the good side of the gulf or the bad side of the gulf. We don't know. But we got to be concerned about the living right now. And not to worry because God's going to take care of the wicked. But we got to be concerned about us maintaining our righteousness before God. And so that we teach this to our seed because he said the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. So we want to pass this on to our seed. You got a lot of young folks right now searching for questions and answers. They don't know what's going on. And so we got to step up to the plate that we know the righteousness of God. Then they should know. It's just that simple. We got to be the first link to let them know. You know, stay steadfast. Hold on. You know, trust God. Because if we trust in God, they too should trust the same God we trust. You know, take that righteous stand. You know, don't get caught up in the righteousness of the Pharisees or trying to create your own righteousness. 
because God said that is no righteousness at all, and it makes us unfit for the kingdom of God. You know, then he talks about woe to the scribes and Pharisees. We got a few more minutes over in the book of Matthew chapter, I want to say chapter 23. Let's read a little bit of that. Then Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say, in other words, eat the meat, throw away the bone. Take off everything that caused you to sweat. Don't let the enemy see you sweat. Put on righteousness. He says, for they say and do not do. Verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And we see this going on right now, man, in D.C., in our country, all over these places where there's, 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 there's people out there right now trying to take things in their own hands, trying to enforce some type of righteousness that they think that God has called them to do. And we know it's not of God. We know it's of man. Five, he says, but all their works they do to be seen by men. Got all the Trump paraphernalia on, T-shirts, hats, somebody, fill the seat, you know, make America great again. You know, Trump this, Trump that, you know, trying to be seen. They make their uh, uh, phylactery trees broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. In other words, it's exactly what he said. Back then, the scribes, the priests, and the Pharisees, they would have scriptures sewn in the hems of their big robes and in their, uh, all up in their chest so that people could see that. And that, made, that gave an appearance, you know, before, for men, the people that they were persecuting and putting these burdens on, made it seem like they were so religious and so righteous before God. But, but Jesus called them vipers, called them vipers and, 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 and hypocrites. <clears throat> you know, and I'm just agreeing with what he said. You know, we're seeing that right now. He said they love the best places of feasts and the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by 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 men, rabbi, rabbi, somebody great, some great teacher, some great scholar, some great theologian. But you do not be called a rabbi. Don't be called a teacher. Don't be called a, a, a great. Only God is that. He said, for one is your teacher. And that's Christ. And ye all are brethren. Humble yourself. Okay. Be, be okay with that. Do not call anyone on earth your father. For there is only one your father. And he is who is in heaven. And do not be called a teacher. For there is only one teacher. The Christ. But he who is greater among you shall, shall be your servant. And whosoever exalts himself uh, shall be humble. And he who humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdoms of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you divide widows' houses, and uh, for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. We read that other, uh, earlier in one of the other Gospels. So you see, you see here the Gospels all say the same thing. Uh, 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. 
and even he is one, when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. You run over there and sign all these treaties if you want to, and they bind into this stuff because the bottom line is, is about money. And look at what the Lord is saying. Satan is always trying to enlarge hell. You know, he wants hell to enlarge itself. He's always recruiting, you know. Free people recruit free people. Evil people recruit evil people. Wicked people recruit wicked, wicked people. Remember I said if you live in righteousness, you die in righteousness, you're righteous when you stand before the great throne judgment. But when you're wicked and you die in Christ in wickedness, that's what you're going to stand before him as, a wicked person. And we know what he said is going to happen to the wicked. They're going to be destroyed. That's the final uh, destruction. Uh, you can be destroyed right now and live a short life because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life according to the book of Romans chapter um, chapter 3, verse 23, and chapter 6, verse 23. Uh, we go on to say here, verse 16 of this chapter, it says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whosoever swears by the temple, is it is nothing. But whosoever swears by the gold of the temple, uh, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? 18, But whosoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is obliged to perform it, fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies it? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it by all things on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes and mints and annies and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These ye ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guys who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites, for ye cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence, blind Pharisees, first cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you who are outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside ye are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if he had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, ye are witnesses against them against yourselves that ye are sons of those who murdered the prophets fill up then then the measures of your father's guilt serpents blood of vipers who can ye escape the condemnation how can you escape the condemnation of hell therefore indeed i send ye prophets wise men and scribes some of them uh you uh, will kill and crucify and some of them you will scourge and in your synagogues and persecute from city to city that on you may, may come all the righteous blood shed of the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of, 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 of Zechariah, son of Barachiah, who you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. 
this generation. And Jesus laments over Jerusalem because this is who uh, uh, this, this prophecy is about. But there's a lot of, uh, of, of things being said that was for them in that day that apply to us this day because they have not yet been fulfilled. And so there are things that, that, that are so similar to what we see right now <coughs> in this evil climate that we're living in. And so some of the same things that Jesus said to them yesterday is the same today and going to be the same tomorrow. Because here Jesus is lamenting over Jerusalem and the book of uh, Jerusalem chapter, a uh, book of Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. He says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, oh, America, oh, America. I put that in there. The one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathereth the chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your houses is left to you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus said, I wanted to gather all of you into that secret place of the most high God so you could abide under the shadow of the almighty where you would say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress. That's his design. That's his plan for the righteous because he's going to keep, he's going to protect <clears throat> and he's going to secure us and keep us safe because he is that hiding place. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, according to the book of Proverbs, chapter 18 and 10. And he called the righteous into it and they are safe. But for the wicked, he said, you shall be destroyed by the same God that's calling the righteous to protect them, to keep them and to preserve them for such a time as this. And so we want to bring this to a close in the, in the next couple of minutes, you know, with all this troublesome Issues facing the nation and the world today. What are we as God's fearing Christians to do? You know, uh, over in the book of Revelation, we read about the two beasts that will show up in these evil and last days. These beasts will cause many to take a mark of the beast. And we're not talking about no tattoo here, no chip under your in your forehead or wrist or under your skin somewhere or planted in your chest or any other parts of your body. But we are talking about is the beast's ability to identify the individuals with, with and, and, inf and inflict his influence uh, to cause them to belong to the beast's worldly system. Those worldly systems out there that we're promoting right now as a nation, you know, the systems of government, the systems of education, the system of religion, and the systems of this economy right now. That's not working. It's failing because we try to do it without God. We try to do it in our own righteousness. These are the, this is the beast of the world that he's talking about. And, 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 and there, there's, there's a ten-headed beast out there that we're going to see in the last day. These other countries coming together and forming this one-world order. There's going to be, try to be a one-world religion. All this is going to happen before Jesus Christ comes back. And so that's the mark he's talking about. You know, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're building uh, your life based on that influence, you know, that, that's your mindset. That's your attitude. That's your future plan. You want to buy into that system. You want to invest into that system. That's the mark that he's talking about, you know. You know, that's the mark he's talking about. That beast of the worldly system that's going to influence people to buy in. That's what Trump is trying to do right now. Oh, I called his name. We get a lot of helpful hints and prophetic clues about this form of, 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 of uh, from the prophet Ezekiel or just how to identify an individuals belonging to the beast worldly system. Ezekiel also gives us some helpful hints and clues to help us believers uh, to be able to identify ourselves with God's mark on us uh, and in us instead. This is some critical truth, facts, and great insights to know 
for right now and the future that awaits us. In other words, this is our mark. You know, this is our mark, you know. Uh, in other words, this is our mark, you know. This is our mark. Now, the other mark, that is a mark that is dark, it's desolate, it's evil. Uh, it's starting right now, today. Uh, what we should be doing is know how we should or should want to identify ourselves uh, with the uh, true and, 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 and follow the true God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the only way. God allowed the prophet Ezekiel to have a scathing and sobering look into the future destruction of Jerusalem before it happened in his day, in his time. And it did happen as predicted. So what is the lesson here? There are the, these are the times and the days and the seasons to make sure we are bearing the right mark. Have our minds renewed with the word of God. You know, come out from among them and be ye separate. We are the righteousness of God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So how can we continue to sin? Only if you're saved will you never be defeated or have to worry about being defeated. You'll only have to worry about enduring to the end so you can be saved that you might receive your reward of eternal life. The other option is the wicked shall be destroyed even now and in that final judgment. We know the ways of sin is death, the gift of God's eternal life. We have to be marked with the word of God. Let the mind of Christ Jesus be also in you as we read in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Verse five. You know, that's the key right there. What, what mark are you bearing? You know, mark of this world, all your, is all your faith in the systems of this world or in, that are failing us right now left and right? Or do you put your faith in God, you know, you know, make sure, you know, that we are sure about our salvation, about who we are and whose we are filled, healed, sealed. And we have the victory to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, book of Ezekiel, chapter nine, verse four. I'm going to give you one, ver two verses, and then I'm going to end right there. And the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all of the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others, he said in mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have any pity on them. Because I want you to go in and I want you to put this in their forehead, in their brain. Tell them about me, that I'm their God and they're my people. And for the wicked, I want you to destroy every one of them, smite them. This is what the Lord told the prophet to go warn them. He's letting them know, I'm going to preserve, keep, and protect the righteous, but I'm going to destroy the wicked in the city. Go through and find both of them. And I want you to do what I tell you to do to both of them. You know, put this in their forehead so that they'll be, they'll be I recognize them, that they are mine. And then for those who are not, destroy them. Amen. So we're going to end right there. Father, we just thank you for the word tonight. We just ask you, Lord God, to use this word to be able to encourage your people, to help your people, that they may know really what is going on right now. You've already told us that fret not thyself because of evil doers, that they shall soon be cut off in just a little while. So we look to you tonight, Lord, to finish and develop our faith, God, and we trust you. We stand on your word. We hope in your word because we know your word will never come back void. God, it's going out now. Let it fall on good ground, never to return to you, Lord, void. Let it do what you, the purpose for you, which you sent it. We give you praise, glory, and honor tonight. Now seal this word, Lord God. We pray, the Lord God, that this word, Lord God, right now will be used to encourage your people, Lord God, that they may bear this mark in their brains, in their minds, because let this word renew them as 
Ezekiel was told to go put it in their foreheads, teach it to them, show it to them, let them hear what thus said the Lord, that it will be in their minds that they'll never forget and let the Holy Ghost always bring it back to their remembrance as we face these evil days that are ahead of us, as we contempt to redeem this time because the days are evil. Father, we thank you for your word. Now in Jesus' name, let us hide in our heart that we don't sin against you. Let us know who we are in Christ Jesus right now in this dark hour. In Jesus' name, we pray for divine delay, divine intervention, and divine justice prevail right now in this hour of darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.